Operation Confidence proudly presents America's Invisible Heroes Radio Talk Show. Tune in weekly on Sundays from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Pacific Time with your hosts, Consuela Mackey, co-host, U.S. Air Force veteran, Matt Davidson, announcers, Taylor Marcella and Brooke Gadesi, U.S. Army veteran and entertainment host, Charles Whitehead, U.S. Army Special Forces veteran, and I once was whole segment host, Richard Cook. U.S. Army veteran and lifeline for women's veterans segment host, Martha Elena Varela. National Faith Program director and veterans in recovery segment host, Anthony Akinpora. And U.S. Air Force veteran and incarceration to success segment host, Kevin Lewandowski. For more information or to be a guest on our show, email info at operationconfidence.org. Operation Confidence is a grassroots nonprofit. The organization's mission is to provide stable housing for veterans who have experienced homelessness, as well as providing a wide range of supportive services. To help accomplish our goal, a successful landowner has donated land for the project, a world-renowned architect has offered to design the houses, and construction classes from the local community colleges will take part in building the houses. Your support and donations are needed. To get involved, please visit our website at www.operationconfidence.org or email info at operationconfidence.com. Hey, well, welcome everyone, and thank you for tuning in to America's Invisible Heroes, the show dedicated to our veterans and their families. Yes, I'm your host, Consuela Mackey, Executive Director of the Grassroots Nonprofit Organization called Operation Confidence. No, I'm not a veteran, but my heart goes out to our veterans, especially those who are disabled and may have experienced homelessness. For those who are new to the show, the show has, was established to create a platform for our veterans to share their stories, challenges, resources, and accomplishments. Now allow me to introduce you to our co-host for today. We have U.S. Army Reserve veteran Charles Whitehead. He's, um, he's a board member. We have Taylor Marcellus, board member and an announcer. We have U.S. Army veteran uh, Martha Varela. She's on our advisory board every, well, I think it's going to be now every two weeks, huh, Martha? She has Lifeline for Women Veterans. And then we have Richard Cook. He has a bi-monthly segment called I Once Was Whole. And then we have Kevin. Kevin's a board member and has a monthly segment called From Incarceration to Success. And, let, and then for there, we have Anne Montague. She has a bi-monthly segment called The Rosie's Movement. And last but not least, we have Darcy Dijon. She has a monthly segment called uh, Music Make music. I'm sorry. Make music, LA. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Hi. Bye. Okay, and you take it away, girlfriend. Okay. Um. The this coming weekend, folks, of course, is going to be Labor Day, and every year at Labor Day, starting in 2014, I think I'm. I might check it at some point, but um, we've been ringing bells to get people aware of the really important role that Rosie the Riveters played during World War II, but most important, their legacy, what they want to leave 
for America is um, that they pulled together, then we can do it again. And even one Rose was, who was very close to us said, um, it's our only hope. And um, I believe every day that she was right about that. So we have different ways for people to pull together to do uh, highest quality work. And while they do it, uh, to remember the Rosies. Um, one would be, for example, to build a park in a city that would um, require people to really get along as they build that park. So pull together to do as highest quality work and do it in a spirit of cooperation to prove that we can. The simplest project that we have is the ringing of the bell for Rosies. We do that on Labor Day because, uh, of course, the women were workers. And um, we found out that if we do it any time Labor Day weekend, it works just as well. We don't have to say it as a, a given time, let's say on Labor Day. So from Thursday before Labor Day through Labor Day, if you can ring a bell for Rosie, it doesn't have to be a big bell. It can be um, jingle bell or cow bell or whatever bell you've got, um, bicycle bell. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and, um, and the ring of bell for roses really is the more people we get across the nation and in other nations, the more we can show that this is not just a national movement, but an international movement. So that's the, the, the whole picture. Um, Charles, do you have some photos to share there and I can explain them? I sure do. Okay. Let's see here. And just in case our, our viewers are not sure who the Rosies are, that's the same Rosies the Riveters, but as Anne, Anne shares with you, is that they did all other type of work other than just riveting. So that's right. Uh, they did but, everything from uh, fly airplanes to grow food to design uh, um, boots to make boots to whatever. Uh, lots of wiring, lots of office work in Washington and so forth. This picture is um, a little girl who was a Brownie Scout. That day we were planting a dogwood tree to honor the Rosies in four different states. And it was raining really hard in Buckhannon, West Virginia. And a man who was on our board as retired Naval Captain was smart enough to realize that um, the, the Rosie could not get outside. Her name was uh, Bobby Lamb. And so um, just as he was starting to go out to drop the tree in the hole. Um, he gave this bell to the little girl and said, now you watch out the window. And the minute I drop it in the, the ground, you ring the bell. So that started ring a bell for roses. That um, fall, they, um, we had like seven different major places that rang bells for roses, including the Liberty Bell um, and the uh, Netherlands Carillion. This picture is of a wonderful Rosie who is fading on us now. And um, of course, this is one reason we have to really move fast from the American Rosie uh, movement because they are fading. What was her name? Anna Hess, A-N-N-A-H-E-S-S. -S. Okay. And she just had her 94th birthday. Anyway, this picture right. was taken in the, the Bishop's Garden of the National Cathedral gorgeous cathedral in Washington, D.C. 
And um, the fellow there in the background was a previous merchant marine. And um, Anna has been to um, the Netherlands with us and she's taken part in so many different events. So I have a that picture. If anybody wants a picture of Anna signed by her, just send me an email. I put my email in the chat box and I can send you over a picture of that same picture of her with her signature on the back. She favors one uh, one of the other roses has been on the show. I'm not sure. Um, they, they all look alike. Of course, I've got <laughs> white hair now too. So once we get white hair, they all look the same. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but she has an interesting story. She was um, a farm girl and didn't even have electricity. So they didn't know the ward started. And they went to church and found that the ward started. And the next morning, all her brothers and cousins who were able-bodied went to sign up. And the men went into Akron, Ohio to work in factories. It took them several weeks or months to close down the farm. And then she and her mother went to Akron, Ohio. She made truck tires and her mother riveted um, airplanes. And uh, also Anna is um, a very outspoken person who belonged to labor unions and so forth. So we like to use that picture because it is labor related. So every voice counts is what the Queen of the Netherlands said when she gave the uh, Caroline which is uh, the, the on the George Washington Parkway um, next to the Iwo Jima Memorial. And uh, so we like to say, you know, a small bell or a big bell, it doesn't matter, but ring a bell for roses and learn that these women wanted more than anything and want more than anything to leave their legacy of pulling together, doing highest quality work for freedom because if we don't, we've wasted our freedom and we may be even are jeopardizing our freedom. Well, if anyone wants the bell, I have several here that Anne's provided for us. I think we have eight. I have maybe about five that's gonna ring on our end, maybe six. I haven't confirmed with the, with the sixth person, but we have bells in all different colors over here that yes. Anne sent us. So in case you want one, let me know. Yeah, I want one. You want one? Great. Yeah. What color? What color do you want? Yeah, we got uh, them in different colors. She's got this, uh, purple. Blue. Purple. Oh, I should have guessed. This is Minnesota, so that explains uh, it right away. Is the purple one? Either a purple or a blue. The blue look pretty. Here's a lighter blue. <laughs> and uh, what color did you say? Uh, did you want it, Taylor? You didn't care. I want it purple. Okay, I'll take the blue. Uh, Easy enough. Only one purple. Is there a yeah. red one? Only one purple. And and then you wanted one, didn't you, Darcy? I'd love one. This is they got yellow. And then uh, <laughs> orange. An orange would be perfect for me. Okay, you want the orange? Yeah. Here. Uh -huh. like Who wants the blue? Kevin and I'll take belt. a dark blue and Kevin can have the light blue. Kevin, you want the light blue. I hope I can remember it. Yeah. <laughs> you have a bill wars now. And yeah. then uh, we have green. And then there's red. There's Darcy's color. 
and uh, what other color? And then there's white. I have a set of bills that are all gold. Whole set. Okay, that'll work. Every key. What else? And what do we do? We bring them all at the same time? Mm -hmm. yeah. It doesn't on matter, Kevin. We used to bring them at the same time, but it got too complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> want to do it when they have time to study and realize what the rosies mean. Uh, very often what people will do is in a quiet time, they'll, you know, call their family together and say, now let's think about this. And it's almost a prayerful time. A lot of people have done uh, just to give thanks for, for our freedom. Richard, you have your hand up. Did you want a bell too? Uh, oh, he's, he has one. Okay. He's you muted. We yeah. can't hear you. We can't hear it. You muted. Okay. <laughs> Let me try it again. Sorry about that. This is for the Rosies. Oh, <laughs> he has. Oh, he got the Liberty Bell. Yeah. yeah. He's got the Liberty Bell, yes. Yeah, I got that from the Blind Rehab Center. Wow. Well, you guys send me your addresses so I can get these out. Will I get, would you get them in time? What is Labor Day? Next Monday. Week. But next Monday. Well, a week from tomorrow. Okay. Well, if I get them up um, so tomorrow, Monday, you should get them in time. You can start ringing anytime just so you get a picture to us. Uh, so let's say three or four days after uh, or after Labor Day. That works. Right. Okay. On Facebook. And you're always taking this initiative to do this helps us to say that you're a model Rosie the Riveter organization. You have shown so much respect for these women. Right. Well, we know we love the roses. Yeah. And we put, well, we put the photo on Facebook? It, yeah, we can. And then we'll sh we can put it on our show as well, right? And, and let me know uh, also if you want a, a signed picture of Anna there. Um, and, you know, just send me over your, um, I gave you the email address in the chat. Box, so send me over your address and we will uh, mail you a hard copy. Okay. You put that in the chat? Is that in the chat? Was autographed by Anna, yes. Yeah, her, her name, information is in there. Okay, moving right along here. I know, Martha, you're somewhat in a hurry today, girlfriend. You won't be able to be with us the whole day. But uh, she has an engagement later on, so we're going to move her right on up to this second one. Take it away, Martha. All right, Connie. Active duty military personnel and National Guard and reservists experienced multiple deployments because of the conflicts that compromised the war on terror. After nearly a decade of war, a growing area of research shows the negative impact on children. Children of military families often experience multiple stressors before and during their parents' deployment and when they come home. Without appropriate mental health support systems, children of military personnel may be at significant disadvantage compared with their peers in non-military families. Who are the children of military families? The 1.76 million children and youth in military families are Predominantly in early and middle childhood, 78% are under age 11 for parents on active duty, and 80% are under the age of 15 for the reservists, compared to the national average of 66% and 83%, respectively. Chiefly from families where the heads of households are married, 55% active duty versus 
49% for the reserve component, mostly 70.5% are from white families for active duty and 7.6% for reserve components. And disproportionately, African-American families or children account for 15.5% and 13.7% among active duty and reserve component respectively. And disproportionately, American Indian children at 1.4% are among the highest uh, active duty personnel compared to the general civilian population of military age. Well, actually that would be low because it's not a lot of representation. Among active duty personnel, 5% hail from Im immigrant families and over one third of new active duty enlistees come from communities where the median household incomes are $42,039 or less per year, which is considered low income. And almost 50% come from moderate income families or communities with median household incomes between $42,040 and $65,000 per year. Among new enlistees in the reserve component, nearly 50% come from communities where the median household income is approximately $46,000 per year. An almost equal proportion of active duty military at 43.2% and reserve, reserve component, which is 41.9%, have children. Similar numbers of parents are enlisted as active duty, National Guard, and reserve personnel. So how many children of military families experience the direct impact of the nation's wars? At least 19,000 children have had a parent wounded in action. Over 2,200 children have lost a parent in either Iraq or Afghanistan. So the impact of deployment on ch children's mental health is great. Children in military families experience high rates of mental health trauma and related problems. Military life can be a source of psychological stress for children also. Multiple deployments, frequent moves, and having a parent injured or die is a reality for many children in military families. Wartime parental deployments can be one of the most stressful events of a child's life. Changes reported, including school attendance or performance, lashing out in anger, worrying, hiding emotions, disrespecting parents and authority figures, feeling a sense of loss, and systems consistent with depression. There's also reports of high levels of sadness seen in children in all age groups. Depression was seen in about one out of every four children. Academic problems occurred in one out of five children. 37% of children with a deployed parent reported that they seriously worry about what could happen to their deployed caretaker. Parents reported that one in five children coped poorly or very poorly to deployment separation and media coverage of the war posed a significant source of that stress for children, which made it much more difficult for children to cope with their parents' deployment. The length of deployment was also was associated with mental health problems, including depression, acting out, and externalizing behaviors. We could probably also throw in anxiety, right? Because if they're worrying a lot about their parent and, and see their other parent worrying, and then they begin to worry, that could also contribute to uh, anxiety and 
um, as we heard last week of, of some of the legal problems that are also um, connected to active duty parents and uh, parents who are deployed. We've heard a couple of our guests speak about, you know, their children being taken away from right. them, uh, you know, while they were in deployed. And so um, very interesting article once again, Consuela. Um, we often don't think about the children um, oftentimes, right, that, that are also kind of caught in uh, some in of the, the special homes. Exactly. Yeah, and I, can, I can attest, you know, because my brother was in Afghanistan. He, he'd been in Afghanistan, Iraq, Saudi. He was in all of those. Uh, and so when they started the war in Iraq, my mother was like, you know, she was a mess. You know, she was worried, you know, it's like, you know, right. is over there, you see it on TV, <laughs> all of this bombing and all of this stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my brother was so into the military, he had a seizure and he fell and hit his head or something. And, uh, you know, so he had, they had to take him out, uh, you know, cause he was like the commander of his, uh, his, uh, unit. And, uh, he was like, man, I didn't come here to be laying around. He was, he wanted to get back to the war. You know, oh, I like, he's like, shoot, I, I didn't come, I didn't sign up for for this. So he he got better, and uh, you know, he 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 found a way to get himself back out there. But what has happened to his kids? You were talking about he didn't that. Have the kids at first, he didn't have. No, I'm saying my mother was a mess behind him. Oh, her kids. Kids, you know? yeah. Oh, by her. Okay, and and he all he wanted to do was get back to the war. You know, she over here worrying about him. He's like, I, I didn't sign up for no laying around, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, he was, uh, he's like, I, I got to go out there and, and uh, take care of my troops, you know, because he was very, uh, he was proud about that, you know. He is was, that who we, is that the brother we had on? Yeah, that's, oh, that's the what only brother I have. Come back again. Not only is he, he recognized what mm -hmm. he's done in the military, but he's funny. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know that's. Well, you asked him to come back on though. Yeah, he you know, said he works on Sunday, so it's kind of hard. Oh, he does. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, All he, right. You know, he's he retired, but he but he uh, works over at the base in Louisiana. Yeah, oh. You know, he'll come when he has a chance. You know. Yeah, let him know he's always welcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that was a good, good uh, write up, Martha. I know you got to go, but uh, stay as long as you can. Okay. Where are you going? I'm going to the jazz jazz summer jazz festival today at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, must be nice. Guess who she's going to see? Tell her who you gonna go see? George Benson. Yeah, that's right. You did tell <laughs> For me. us old school heads in that room. Neon lights. So okay now. <laughs> so well, Martha got a lot of soul in her. She likes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a '70s baby, so absolutely. Yeah, that's right so now. cool. We move right along. Okay, Kev, it's on you. And Miss Bella. Yes, Miss Bella, she's right here. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today is myself and my homelessness and um, getting out of the military. Uh, I got was released from the military very abruptly. Um, one day I was in, the next day I was out. And um, I was an active alcoholic in the military and that's when they, they let me out um, due to that. They never offered me help or anything. So as a result of that, I do have uh, PTSD from, um, from them abruptly letting me out and then winding up on the streets for 28 years. So- um, What did you do when you were in the military? Then you, when I you was a firefighter paramedic. 
Wow. And, and you uh, say you had alcohol too? I was an alcoholic, yeah. Well, what happened when I was when I went in, they lied to me. They they I went in under a guaranteed enlistment, which meant that I was guaranteed a position. When I went in and um I had to wait, I waited six months for the position to come up. They called, said your position came up, you're going to basic training. And it was for a pharmacy uh, technician. When my orders came in, they weren't for pharmacy technician, they were for, for firefighting. And at that, from that point on, um, that's when I spiraled down because I never wanted to be a firefighter. I never wanted to be thrown into fires. And they literally throw you into fires. Really? They have, they have simulated aircrafts that they light up on fire. And then you put on this silver suit, no oxygen or anything. And they literally, they tell you to jump in. Well, I wasn't jumping in. So they pushed me and they pushed me in, you know. So I had, you know, I had a fear of, you know, of fire. I mean, I'm saying this fire, this fire here was like um, 48 feet tall, you know. Oh, aircraft. No. And they pushed so, you in? Pushed me in. That's not funny, yeah. but you make it sound. No. <laughs> and then they go and they go into this little tiny house with these oxygen, uh, with the uh, oxygen tanks on, and you got to crawl around in these little tiny things. It's like a maze, and you're blindfolded, so you can't see. What? And you have to go in there. They call it the smoke house, and you have to go in and you have to find this this lead dummy, and you got to drag it out. So I got in there and I started hyperventilating. I couldn't stand it. I was claustrophobic. That's and my oxygen, ran, my oxygen tank ran out because I was breathing so heavy. And it was just traumatic, you know, the whole thing. Oh, so wow. This is horrible. So, um, so, of course, you know, I wasn't happy. I just was not happy. How so, many times do you have to do that type of training? Just once? No, you had to do, do, we did it constantly. Oh, constantly training, constant training, constantly trained. So, um, so of course I wasn't happy. So I, I started drinking and, and, and I was reprimanded many times on the base for work, for, you know, um, I got a DUI on the base, one off the base, you know, so, so they, you know, they weren't happy with me and I wasn't really happy with them either. So, um, they let me out an active alcoholic. So from that point on, I stayed homeless for 28 years until I wound up in prison. So, um, you know, I was thinking the other day because now I am writing a book and, um, you know, it just got me thinking of all the things that I missed out on being homeless. Mm -hmm. You know, I became homeless when I was 24. You know, I missed out on family events. I missed on I missed out on and spending time with family, you know, getting to know my family. Um, because when, by the time I went to prison, I was 49. So by the time I was 24 till I was 49, I had no contact with anyone. You know, I was out there in the world by myself, running the streets. It's a very lonely place to be when you're homeless. You don't have any friends. You may have associates. And these people that, that you're associated with, usually you have something they want and they have something you want, so you pair off. But once that, once the, you run out of whatever they want, they run out, run out of whatever you want, it, it ends right there. So it's a very, very lonely life, you know, and I was thinking about, you know, I remember, I remember the loneliness, you know, I remember sitting on the curb one day and I was thinking, this was after I was out there for like 15 years and I thought, you know, how did this happen to me? You know, I'm sitting on this, in this curb and it was like, wow, you know, I just, it kind of like hit me all at once, you know, and um, it was, you know, it's a horrible, horrible life, 
you know, it's a very lonely life. It's a very dangerous life. I've got scars all over my head from, from getting in fights and getting beat up. I had my ear bit off when, um, my earlobe bit when, when I was, uh, I was, I was asleep in the park and I, I would always hold on to my vodka bottle. You know, I hold on to it for dear life because I don't know where to get it. I needed that thing in the morning. So I held on to it and, and they knew I held on to it. So they came and they bit my ear. So then oh. I would let go. I would let go. Here's my here's my ear right here. You see how it's bit, how it's can you see it? Yeah. Oh well so, you off camera now. Get back to the front. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me say here. Can you see it here where it's oh my god, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so they they bit my ear off and uh, and um that's just that's just one of the things that happened, you know. So um so, uh, so you know, of course, you know, I was actively drinking, and 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 you know, I got into. Um, at one point, I I got um, I got arrested. I went into a liquor store, and I took uh, two cans of Takati beer. I stuck them into my army jacket and went to get out of, uh, to get out of the store. Now I was at the point where I needed this drink. Now, if I didn't have the drink, I would go into seizures. So now I'm physically dependent on this alcohol. So of course I went through any ways and means to get it. So when these clerks tried to stop me, I blocked right, I ran right past them and knocked them, you know? And uh, since I, since I, two blocks down, I got arrested. Since I physically touched the clerk, touched the clerks, I got arrested for strong arm robbery. Really? So, uh, yes. So, so I went to jail and, and, um, then I, I got on, I got on formal probation for four years. So, um, so and, and then also at this point, you know, I didn't even want to drink anymore. I did not want to drink. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't, you know, because now my body was physically dependent on it. And, and when I would wake up in the morning, I would have those dry heaves, you know, and I have had to get that drink down. So I, I would try to save, save a little bit of beer from that from the night before. So I wouldn't have this, this, this gagging in the morning, but I never, I would wake up a halfway through the night, finish it. So, uh, so I would go out and I would collect change. I panhandled, that's how I supported myself. And, um, and I would get change and, and buy beer. And it was always to the point where before I ran out, I had to have another one ready. So that's because my brain at this point was all, all I could think was get more, get more get more, get more. That was my daily thought. I didn't think of anything else, but to get more liquor, get more drugs, get more of whatever it is to take me out of myself because yeah. I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in my skin anymore. So, uh, so many times I did try to commit suicide. I tried it several times. I tried it. Um, I tried it one time when, when, uh, after I was living in, in, uh, Arizona and, um, I, 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 I moved to Miami to just to get away from everything. And um, I planned my suicide there. So mm -hmm. what I did was I went and I got a bottle of vodka and I got a can of that Crisco large, you know, the white, the white Crisco. And I put that oh, all yeah. over my body. And my, my thought was to sit out there and, and just, just bake like a rotisserie chicken until, until I... <laughs> Until I, until I, until the, the nightfall, then I was going to proceed into the ocean and get hypothermia. So I, I went and I put the Crisco and I kept putting Crisco and ro rolling around, turning like a chicken and, 
and turning and turning. And next thing I knew, I woke up and I smelt this odor. I was like, oh, you know, and it kind of woke me up. And when I wake up, there's these doctors and nurses staring down at me. What they were doing, they were puncturing these blisters that I had all over my body. I had given, my, given myself uh, third degree burns from the sun. So they found, they found the Coast Guard found me floating in the ocean. They so, found the what? In the they ocean? They found me floating in the ocean. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So, um, so that's, you know, that's that, that's one of the times I tried to commit suicide. Then I tried it again, you know, and it was like over and over because I, I didn't want to live my life. I didn't want to, I was very unhappy and very depressed. Um, and, you know, it was just, it, it's, you know, horrible. You know, and it got to the point, you know, I, used to, I, I, I was diagnosed um, with HIV when I was out there. And it was in the early, that was in the early 80s when everybody was dying within weeks. And um, that was, you know, that was another, you know, traumatic thing that I went through out there. And, and, and uh, you know, um, they got beat up coming out of a gay bar. They, they gay bashed me. They beat me so bad that they broke my jaw. I had to get mm -hmm. my jaw wired shut. And then when they, they went to take the wires out, the doctor, the dentist said to me, do you have a family doctor? I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, you better get one. And I'm looking at him like, you know, who are you to tell me to get a doctor? You know, I'm all indignant. He said, well, you have you have hepatitis C and you have grit. And you have grit, what? Hepatitis and what? Grit. Grit. What, what is that? Grit, grit is, stands for gay-related immune deficiency. That's what HIV and AIDS was before they, anybody knew what it was all about. Oh, wow. So I was diagnosed, I guess it's been 30 30, 34, 35 years ago. Mm. And, um, you know, and the doctor, you know, told me this and I'm sitting in the, in the dentist chair and waiting, he left the room and I thought, well, he's going to come back in, you know, and tell me what to do. And he never came back in. So that's mm. the difference between now, the way things are today and the way, the, the way things were back then. Now, before you take the test and after you take the test, you go through counseling whether you're negative or positive, you have a counselor right there. Because back then, you know, people were given this information and, and to sit with. So my first thought um, was get a bottle. So I went walking in Philadelphia, I'm walking in all that sleet and everything. And I went and I was staying at a, at a, at a friend's place and I, and I walked up the stoop, which is the steps. To, to the place and I slipped and fell. And back then the bottles came in glass. They weren't plastic like they are today. And that thing shattered all over the front stoop. When that thing shattered all over the front stoop, I was beside myself because I needed that drink now more than anything. Because what I did when I drank, I drank things away. I'm gonna drink this away. It's not happening to me. I'm gonna drink it. I'm gonna drink it away. So I went back to the liquor store. I carried that bottle back like a baby. And when I got in, I started drinking. And I drank and I drank and I drank and my, 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 the, the guy that I was staying with, he would go and get me more liquor. And, and when I woke up, I don't even know how long I was drinking. I woke up in, in Thomas Jefferson University Hospital with nemesis pneumonia, which is what the, what the, what people were dying of back then. And um, only by the grace of God am I sitting here today because I went through many other trials like that. And, 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 you know, I should have been dead, but, but, you know, like I, I, I say, you know, God had plans for me, you know, so yeah, you have the way to move way forward. Um, you have the perfect my, segment. My, my, 
from incarceration to success. Yes, and now everybody knows the success success part of it. Well, there's more to the success. So anyway, so I so now um, not only do I do I have a job with Path as a employment specialist three. Now I'm uh, I'm going to school. I start next month uh, for um, um, certif- nationally certified addiction counselor. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to become an addiction counselor, uh, and I'll be certified throughout the whole country, so I can oh, work in any state. So I mean that's another blessing. I applied for that, and I don't even know why I applied for it. I guess it was it was the Holy Spirit, and I applied for it, and and um. They called and they said that we went through two and interv- three interviews, and then I got it. I got an acceptance letter. I guess it was two weeks ago that I was accepted into the program. So um, that's you know, another blessing, and the blessings just keep coming. And this month, I mean, that was September twenty fourth, I'll be celebrating twelve years clean and sober. And you know when we yeah. met, that's phenomenal. Yeah. When we met, you were literally out there recruiting other homeless veterans and you right. went from that all the way up to the position you are in now i mean it's been just yeah. amazing just to watch you grow and it's all because you started believing in god more and of course miss bella who's that's his picture in the background that's my that's just Ms. Bella, Ms. bella right there yeah that's she's my, that's a she picture is the one that saves me understand she, how she, she, she saves me she's the boss in the house Right. And she's the one she keeps she helps keep me sober and she keeps me all in line. Right. If, I, if I even think about getting out of line, owner, she's not having it. That's so cute. Yeah, she runs she's a house. She like that though. Where is she in real life? Where is she? She right here sitting with me. Let me see her. That's you know, that's Auntie Connie. <laughs> you see her? Oh, oh there she is. Oh. Oh. Pick her up. <laughs> she laying down wants to be the pedest here. Come here, baby. Look, they want to see you like that. Come on. Come on up here. They want to see you. Oof. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. He's so sweet. And she's so sweet. And he has all these different outfits for her. And she literally goes to the office with him. And that's who saves his life, Miss Bella. He was able yeah. to get her. And of course. I'm tired. Y'all, y'all got me out here. I'm trying to get my sleep. And yeah. the funny thing is, when I go when I go on a job interview, she comes right with me. And of I don't course, even, I don't even tell them ahead of time. I don't even tell them. I was at this one job interview, and they came out to the waiting room, and they said, "Have you seen? I'm looking for a guy that's here for an interview. His name is Kevin. Have you seen? Oh, here I am." And they look like, "Oh my god," because I got a doll. <laughs> I walk in these job interviews with a doll, you know. That's but, all right. Um, you got hired. Kevin, them, yeah, they hire me. They, you know, they hire. They, they, uh, they love her. Kevin, they would you say that the unconditional love that you share is what yeah. really is is what helps to bolster your confidence? Yes, definitely, definitely. Well, he, because, he, he got because, you know, when I first got her, um, I cried for the first time in twenty some years. Just out of the joy, you know, of, of having her, I'm feeling that love because I hadn't felt love. I haven't been, I, when I was out there, I wasn't touched really by a human being for many years unless I wound up in the hospital. You know, you don't have physical touch because I had, I was by myself. You know, I would, t- I, I, you know, you don't really have people to talk to except, you know, uh, you have money for beer. I need money for beer. And I didn't know Spanish, but I knew dinero for cerveza. 
I learned that real quick, money for beer, you know? So that's all, that's the only talk I had, the only communication I had with other people, no touch, you know? And and, and another thing is when I, when I would, um, when I finally went to prison, I looked in the mirror and I was staring at an old man. And I thought I was still young. Because when I went, when I, when I got out of the military, I was 24. And that's the image I still had of myself. So I had to go through a lot of therapy just, you know, just for that. So right. that's why, you know, when you see a lot of homeless people on the street and they're dressed very young looking, like they think they're youngsters, that's why. Because really? I stopped. Yeah, I stopped right there at that point is when my, the picture of myself stopped. Because I, I, I never had a mirror. And when you walk past the storefront, you look, you know, you're blurred. So you, you look at it, and, you know, you create what you want to create. You know, you really can't see an image, you see an image, but you know, I would make it into a young image, <laughs> you know, in my mind. So when I finally really got to look in the mirror, it was like, wow, depressing, you know, very depressing, you know, because where did my whole life go from 24 to 49? My life was nothing. Wow. Nothing. So that's uh, a little bit about myself. You're going to have to buy my audio book when it comes out. Yeah, for sure. And we're so proud of you. And you, you, you left out the most important is that you got in touch with God. And oh, yes, that, yes. That's and now what I you, said. You only are, by the grace of God did all these things happen. You know, and you're in the church me, now. What are you doing within the church? Don't you hold a position there now? Well, I, I'm the spiritual advisor for the North Dis District of Los Angeles for St. Vincent de Paul Society. See, so I got twelve churches under me. Wow, right. isn't that amazing? Well, we just well. yeah, well, <laughs> we're so proud of you. And then, then Thank last but not you. least, he's a board member, so we just yes. have have you here and story. And I remember when you went out in the streets and recruited homeless yeah. veterans and brought them back. And I still them. do because I still I work with homeless. My right. veterans had to be homeless or at risk, so I'm still right out there with them. And nobody would know no more than you on how it is out there, you know. And they listen. They listen to me, and I've gotten so many. I've transferred so many lives from where they were because I um I hire for the VA hospitals janitorial service, mm -hmm. and I get them in there. You know, I get them in there, and 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 um when they when they first talked, oh, I'm too old to do that. I said, you're not too old, and don't let anybody tell you. That you're too old to get a job. I, you know, I got my first job at 52. Mm -hmm. You know, after homelessness, 52 years old. So don't tell me you can't get a job, and then I'll hire you right now. You got a job. Wow. Yeah. That's so that's, so that's yeah. So. Well, we're proud of you, kid. Thank you. And God is with you, and you're doing some yes. great work, and we're so happy to have you on board. Yes. And the. Uh, Kiss my girl for me. That's, oh yes, I mean I'm ain't Connie, you know. <laughs> yes, and now we're both going to. She's going to be in. She's going to be a certified um, addiction counselor too, because she'll go through all the classes with. Me. That's right, and everybody loves her too. That's so cute. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. We're excited. Thank you so much for your presentation. Thank you. It was heartfelt, you know. Thank you. Okay, it's on you, Taylor. Respect. Disability is a, is a diverse, disability-led nonprofit that works to create systemic change in how society views and values people with disabilities, and that advances policies and practices that empower people with disabilities to have a better future. 
Their mission is to fight stigmas and advance opportunities so people with disabilities can fully participate in all aspects of community. Respectability knows that most people with disabilities can and want to fully participate in and contribute to all aspects of society. Respectability shifts narratives and creates progress by centering people with lived disability experience in leadership roles, ensuring authentic representation in entertainment and news media, advancing successful public policy, and pushing for faith-based faith -based and other inclusion. The following are respectability's four pragmatic areas. Respectability has a commitment to individual and organizational efforts to build respect or to build respect, dignity, fairness, compassion, equality, and self-esteem to create an environment that is inclusive of all throughout their organization and the disability community. They acknowledge and honor the fundamental value and dignity of all individuals. They pledge to create and maintain an environment that respects diverse traditions heritage and experiences. People with disabilities make up the largest minority group in the United States. In fact, one in five people in America has a disability and this includes people from all genders, races, sexual orientations, and other minority groups. In addition, due to accident, aging, or illness, disability can impact anyone at any time. Respectability believes all people with all people with developmental, physical, sensory, mental, and other differences deserve to be able to achieve their hopes and dreams just like anyone else. Um, in the entertainment and news media, um, respectability increases diverse and authentic representation of disabled people in media. So people with disabilities are seen for what they can do instead of what they cannot. In leadership roles, enables diverse people with disabilities to participate fully in decision-making and in policy, promote best practices in education, employment, entrepreneurship, civic engagement and access, and in faith inclusion and belonging, uh, respectability ensures the inclusion of people, people with disabilities in faith-based communities. Respectability provides equal employment opportunities to all employees and applicants for employment without regard to race, color, religion, gender, sexual orientation, a gender identity or expression, national origin, age, disability, veteran status, or genetic. In addition to federal law requirements, respectability complies with applicable state and local laws governing non-discrimination and employment. This policy applies to all terms and conditions of employment, including recruiting, hiring, placement, promotion, termination, layoff, recall, transfer, leaves of absence, compensation, and training. Respectability is looking for more volunteers and partners to end stigmas and enable people with disabilities to achieve success. They invite um, us all to join as they champion a better future for everyone. If you would like more information about respectability, you may email them at info at respectability.org. Again, info at respectability.org. And you can also send a letter um, to their mailing address at respectability 
4-3 Town and Country Drive, Suite 119-181, um, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. And their office number is 202-517-6273. Again, 202-517-6272. Hey, that was good information. It was, it really was. Thank you for that. Um, next, I will or introduce Ms. Dorsey Dujan. Dorsey is the executive director of Make Music LA. She is a member of Congress of Neighborhood, Local Neighborhood Council, and Advisory Board for Arts of Los Angeles. Ms. Dorsey, take it away. Hi, good afternoon, Taylor. Good afternoon, Connie and everybody. It's really good to be here. I haven't been here in a while. Yeah, uh, you've been busy. Yeah, I have been busy, but it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Today, I wanted to um, kind of talk about uh, recruitment for the Army bands. I think there are, you know, a lot of college students who've had great music classes and have been in, been a part of um, high school marching bands and might be able to, you know, look at the Army as, a, as an option uh, to take them further in terms of their education. So I'd like to just sort of talk a little bit about that and um, go from their, their website, which is GoArmy and GoArmy.com. But to just give you an idea of what's available in terms of the bands and um, how they can advance their studies. Okay, so it says, take your talents to the next level while you support your fellow soldiers through the power of music. Perform your passion. As an Army Bands musician, Special Bands member, or Army Bands officer, making music means you're making a difference. You're motivating and inspiring deployed soldiers through music. You're providing musical support for events and local communities. And the challenge is that uh, for you to improve as a musician. The Army Band's advantage. As a member of a US Army Band, you'll get opportunities you won't get anywhere else. Musical variety. With over 80 army bands and more than uh, 17 different instrumental and technical specialties, there's a place where your musical talents and skills can shine. Freedom to play. Focus on the thing you love the most, making music while getting paid and maintaining military benefits, even if you serve only part-time. Travel opportunities. Discover all the places your music is needed, from national public parades to overseas tours. Financial stability for the future. As a member of a U.S. Army band, you will receive benefits that will allow you the freedom to focus on your music without worrying about where the next paycheck is coming from. Competitive starting salaries, E-4 pay grade, plus allowances, up to $65,000 in student loan repayment for select instruments, and comprehensive health care, and 30 paid vacation days a year. Uh, and online, you'll be able to um, 
you know, flush out all of those benefits because every, everything is there for you to find. And you can, of course, always um, check with the, rec the recruiting office as well. Discover the band for you. U.S. Army bands are, are comprised of four branches, 20 active duty regional bands, 13 guard bands, and four premier bands, each with its own unique mission and qualifications. U.S. Army premier bands. Army premier bands are highly specialized performance ensembles, regularly providing music for high profile national events, such as visiting dignitaries and heads of state. They also tour for events nationwide. Army regional bands tour regionally and nationally, perform for public events and provide educational outreach to communities. They also perform for military ceremonies and concerts for soldiers on post. Army regional bands include rock band, brass band and woodwind quintet, salsa bands, jazz combos and brass bands and much more. Army reserve bands provide part-time musical support to local regions. Performances include a concert tour two weeks out of every year or support for a military base with opportunities for overseas travel. Army reserve, Army reserve bands include concert bands, rock bands, brass, and woodwind quintet, jazz, combo, and more. Army National Guard bands provide part-time musical support to 48 states. They require only one weekend per month and a two-week concert tour or musical support for a military base. Army National Guard bands include concert band, rock band, brass, and woodwind, quintet, jazz combo, and much more. So if you have an interest in pursuing a military and your a musical career, I, I encourage you to check out the um, Army by going to GoArmy.com and to take a look at what, what you can accomplish uh, in a military band. So there you have it. Okay. Great. Wonderful opportunities. Mm -hmm. I just say be very careful because um, they tell you one thing and then they do another. Ah. <laughs> they tell you one thing and do another. They're going to say, oh, yeah, you're going to get in this band. Da, 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 da. How do they, they even know when you sign up for that, when you sign those papers that there's a position available for that instrument that you're playing? They don't know because, they, because then they'll say, oh, well, we don't have that right now, but you're going to have to wait. You're going to do this instead. Oh. You know, I, I, you got to watch because they there's only 20 bands in the whole United States. And they're gonna sign how many people up, you know. So you gotta be very careful. I don't trust them because they, they because they 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 stab me in the back and they do it to many people. A lot of the veterans that I work with now, same story. So just be very careful. Kevin, well, is is there a way? Um, do they ever work on a like on a contractual basis? If you're gonna sign up, you say, okay, I want to do this but have them put it in writing? Will they ever put anything in writing? Mine was in writing, guaranteed enlistment. But then they told me when I got my orders, and I said, this is wrong. I'm supposed to be going to pharmacy school. So the liaison looked through all the papers. Oh, you're right, she said. You took an oath of office to protect this country against foreign and domestic, correct? 
I said, yeah. She's well, Air Force needs come first. Good luck in your new career. <gasps> oh. So, they, so from the very beginning, you. you're you were let down. Yes. From the very beginning. Oh, they that's lied to me. They lied to me. Right, straight out lied to me. You know, Kevin is well, not saying anything that I haven't talked about before. He's absolutely correct. You know, because they go in, they recruit you, get you in, get them in, mm -hmm. and they recruit you for something that, you know, a lot of times it's something that you do that has nothing to do with civilian life when you get out. So when you get out, okay, you know, if you were a, uh, a, a uh, just for, you know, some, you know, you are a, a, a weapons <laughs> sergeant, you know, you know right. when you get out, how do you put that into civilian life? They yeah, do that yeah. and they do switch up on you. So, I mean, you know, he's, he's absolutely correct. And, and, you know, this is one thing I always say, I said, you know, they recruit the hell out of you and then they want you to be there. But then when you get out, huh, you're on your own. Here you go. Here's your, you know, so you used to, you get used to having, so, you know, so he's right. And then they lie to you and say, oh, you, you can go to school while you're in the military. You get in there, you can't go to school because you don't have time. And they'll tell you, no, you can't go. You don't have, we don't have time for that. That doesn't, that doesn't, um, that doesn't uh, uh, work with your schedule. You're going to have to wait till you get out. You know, all the just lie, they lie, lie, lie. Well, I've got to tell everybody that was listening to me today, this is a cautionary tale. So <laughs> if you go to, to check out recruiting, be concerned about everything. Uh, yeah. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we're not going to do recruiting again. <laughs> <laughs> I was a recruiter back well, in the you 70s. Know. I was a recruiter. <laughs> what you I say, felt. Richard? I, I was a recruiter back oh, in back the Army. In the, oh, the Army, yeah. I was right. an Army recruiter. Right there. It used to be downtown on 6th Street, but that has moved to somewhere in by LAX. But the thing is, I was a recruiter. And I used to always tell the potential recruits, just go ahead and do what I'm saying, and take it easily. Because you have to make the decision on your own, because I'm not here to lie, lie to you. Mm -hmm. But my, my own, my own supervisor, which was a senior recruiter, a sergeant first class, he wanted me to lie. I said, I'm not lying yeah. to anybody. That's why I don't. I'm not I'm a recruiter. I'm not lying to anybody. But that's kind of what I went to. Went, went to. Uh, I still recruited. And they would tell me, yeah, I trust you. You're not lying to me. And the thing is, he got fired from recruiting because he was doing some things unethical. Wow. Just because he, instead of, you know, instead of any of my stuff lying, he's tried to lie. So that way you get the recruit. And the thing is, he got fired for that. Wow. Oh, Kevin, no. do you think by from what you went through in the military caused you to come out after you transitioned out to become homeless? That's why they put me out. I got put out abruptly. One day I was in, the next day I was on sitting on the curb. Is that I, because active, of I, active alcoholic? Active alcoholic. They put me out on the curb, didn't offer me any kind of help. I'm out of the curb, active alcoholic. Uh, where was I? I just kept drinking. I was homeless from the day I was discharged. Were you an alcoholic when you went in? No. And you became after you got in and then- When and I got in there. And well, I think all of the things that you described to us and the, the emotional scars that they put on you 
from day one, um, it, it, that had an effect on you and on someone who you, you seemed to me as though when you were 24, you were a very young, naive, and mm -hmm. a wide-eyed, open person. And that the way you were treated was so harsh that it was very, very difficult. You never had an opportunity to get a hold of yourself and, and recognize how you were feeling because you were being bombarded with um, all kinds of rules, regulations, right. and they're not listening to you at all. They never heard you. Martha, are you able to hear us? Because she has some extraordinary stories for women veterans. Well, yes, I am. And, you know, kind of to echo what what's what you hear from Kevin, you know, when you're young, this 18, is 18, 19, you know, um, you don't, you can't really problem solve for yourself. Even for cutting but, you off, you only see your logo. Yeah, no, I know I can't um, turn, I'm not by the camera. Oh, okay. um, so it's true. You know, you're very young, you're very, you know, naive, um, you know, nowhere versed in being able to advocate for yourself. So a lot of times it is done intentional, you know, to scare you, bully you, um, or, or to fill the fill the quo, right? I mean, when I got out, my recruiter didn't even tell me what time I had to show up to my National Guard unit. So they were calling me at, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, like, where are you? And I had no idea. You know, once he got his, his uh, stat or his quota filled for that, you know, period of time, that's the last time I ever heard from him, you know, and kind of like Kevin said, you know, with the, with the, um, the, the medic, uh, you know, the program, when you get out, it's not a real job that you can go and apply for, you know, you're kind of in the halfway between being a nurse and a paramedic, but you don't have the degree. So it's right. kind of like you wasted all that time, you know, and the resources training for a job that you couldn't just walk out and go apply for. So you either had to go to nursing school, which everyone knows is hard and very expensive, um, or paramedic school. And like Kevin, I didn't want to fight fires either, but I had no choice. So I tried out for the fire department. And not only Kevin is that suit like claustrophobic, but it's heavy and it's yeah. hot, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and then you got to carry a big fan on your shoulder and run up a a, a ladder and, you know, and, and, and all with the, you know, meanwhile, you can't breathe. I mean, so it's, and then again, this is all being put on your shoulders and you're just 19 years of age or, you know, 18 years of age. And so and you've, and you've suffered some type of disability from having to carry yeah. all that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I broke my foot and basic training. I, I attested to them stupid boots that they used to make us wear them ugly you know, uh, heavy duty leather ones that had no uh, movement, you know, they were very constrictive. Um, and you're running five and six miles in some boots that aren't even comfortable. So the, the fracture for me came on the top of my foot from the boots rubbing on the top of my foot. And now, you know, 40 years later, uh, you know, or 20 years later, I, I have problems. I, I need hip surgery and <laughs> I've got sciatic. I mean, it's not funny, but you know, and, and because I wasn't given the proper, like Kevin with maybe his is more, you know, his emotional health and well-being, right. His mental health and well-being. Um, mine was my physical health and well-being. You know, they said, well, either you uh, start over and do it again, how with a broken foot, or you just suck it up and drive on. 
okay, well, it never healed properly. And so now I've got problems and now I have to go back and, you know, file for disability because I can't walk, you know? Uh And so it's, it's really unfortunate. It really is. I mean, I think, you know, they, they could do it in a way that doesn't, you know, harm your physical health, your, your mental health, but, you know, particularly for women, you know, we, we, um, and for men equally, you know, we, we're young, we don't know any better. And so it's really hard for us during that time to, to cope and figure out what we're supposed to do to advocate for ourselves. Um, well, but yeah, I, I echo the same experience. And, and, unfortunately, and unfortunately uh, you know, the recruiting part, some of it is done, uh, like you say, on purpose, but then there's the other part that they, the, the people are just there to recruit. They don't know that, oh, you know, this guy's going to come in or this uh, girl, you know, uh, he or she's going to come in. You know, some people go in, they stay for 25 years, 30 years or whatever, you know, and then they're well accepted. Or some go in for two or three years and they come out of a situation where maybe when they're at home, they don't have a great life. They may, you know, come because I've heard about people who lived in like a uh, terrible situation, poor family. And this. they go join the military to get out of that. And then when they go in, they come out. And guess where you're headed back to? Mm-hmm. You know? That's what happened to me. Because you don't know any different. You know, that's mm-hmm. what you know. The military didn't give you these, oh, when you get out, why don't you, uh, you know, try to take this uh, uh, MOS or whatever, you can go do this. They, you know, they, you know, a lot of times they don't care. They want to get bodies in. You know, you're like, it's the, the cattle herd, you know. Let's get them in here, you know, rustle up the cattle and get them all together. That's what they want to do, bodies to, to fill in spots, you know. Sorry, Dorothy, your subject got uh, Well, yeah. no, you, you know what? I, I, yeah. I was, I was thinking, Sorry, God, why did I talk about that? But at the same but it's time, good to know, though. That's good, that, though. It's, that experience is there's going to be some young woman or man out there who's listening to this and they're going, well, I was right. thinking about that, but now I'm going to think twice about it because I really want to do this with my life. And if I, something happens to me, I, I have no recourse. And then they're telling me I'm, I've gone AWOL and then they're going to put me in jail for that. Right. So right. I think, yeah. I'm sorry I brought it up, but I'm glad well, I brought it up. Oh, it's good. No, because, no, you know, it was it's wonderful. Good. It's informative. You know, we hijacked, you got hijacked, but you know, it's okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they're telling the truth, but now they know the yeah. truth. Yes, yes. If you never brought that up, they would they they may not have they may have signed up and, and not not knowing how what what could, what harm they can do. Mm-hmm. But you right. brought that up and now we brought the truth to light. Yeah, yes. I mean, you know, I've been yes. preaching this for the longest. It's like, you know, you know, that's unfortunately it's that way. Now maybe it's changing a little bit, you know, the you know, but you know, it's, it's stuff like that happens all the time, you know, they they kick you in the corner, say, oh, here, here you go. Here's a broom. My ex-husband was um, was in the army and he, he was young. When he went, he, they told him, okay, it's either jail or the military. That's what the judge told him because he did something stupid with some friends and they got into trouble. And that, that was what he had to do. So he went into the service. And I remember when he came back, he had done a tour he got injured and he, he, he came home and we weren't together, but he came to, to visit me. And um, I asked him, you know, what was he going to do now that he was home? And he said, well, I'm not staying home. And I said, why? Said, because there's nothing I can do here. He said, I, I, the only thing I know how to do is kill. Oh. Those were his words to me. 
So did he go back in? He did go back in. He did go back in. And I, that was the last time that I had spoken to him. Um, He survived, but I believe mentally he did not survive. He's, he's so I, I haven't spoken to him. That's terrible. And then Martha and I, we we and Charles, we remember this this uh was it in the army, uh Martha or Charles that had that horrible experience that she's just recently got us thanks to you all, uh just got his apartment. Yeah, remember Michael had gotten beat up um well he by his uh drill sergeant, so he was in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was because he was a very nice looking young man. And sometimes, you know, you get these kind of, I don't know, like it's weird, but people have they their own. They tortured him though. Ooh, yeah. Him. yeah. He came out, he was a basket case on our show. And he plus, and now he got his new homeless. place. He finally got him a place, huh? Yep. He finally moved into a place. Kevin, you might know the Casa de Rosas apartment oh, building. Yes, yes. That was very just, nice. Very just recently, I think might have opened up after all of yes, that. Very nice, very nice. But yeah, he came yeah. through Operation Confidence, and Martha and I worked on him and got him together. And yeah, how long did it take, yeah. Martha? Oh, about a year. Yeah, but we had it to takes a good year. Yeah, that's yeah. quick. That's actually quick. Is yeah, it really? yeah, that's an average. And he has a service quick. dog that's too. Quick. That's quick. He That's has a quick. service dog as well. Oh, He's so happy oh, okay. with his little dog. It's the cutest thing, too. Dog, his name, Mr. Fella. I'm just kidding. Huh? Ah, uh, his Mr. dog Bella. name, Mr. Fella. Uh, Is that his name? His dog no, name? no, I'm just, I'm no. just joking. Oh, okay. He's Miss Bella. Bella. Mr. Bella. Bella. <laughs> oh, yeah. With 33 right. years of what I've done in the Army, I got a lot of stories I could tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can imagine. Well, you next hey, on here, Richard. It's on you, guy. Take it away, Richard. It's your, it's your segment now. Thank you very much. But anyways, talking about all of this, I'm going to go into this. I had a lot of trouble when I first came in in 1975 in basic. What had happened, I hit I'm a, a, when we're uh, double timing and my right leg clipped the other person's left leg which had me fall onto a rock and that rock bore a hole on my left knee and they didn't bother to check it out. Wow. So what happened, I was looking at it because it tore, I tore, it tore the, the BDUs, which is the Army, Camel, uh, Army Camels, it tore them. And one of the other people sitting next to me, I was only 17 at that time, uh, uh, sitting next to me, he saw it, plus it was squirting out blood and he raised his hand and started yelling at the uh, drill sergeants. He's injured. He's injured. So what happened, they took me to uh, one of the medical staff that was close by for what we were at the rifle range. And uh, then the drill sergeant comes in and says, that's oh, not so bad. So I said, I'm going to put, uh, I forgot what they call it now, bandolier on it. So, and he put it up and it, which is just kind of, Mending it, mending it there. They said, you still need to go to the closest uh, Army hospital. And the Army hospital for the main hospital was maybe several miles away. <laughs> so the thing is, uh, I went to a uh, smaller one, like a small clinic. 
And they looked at it and said, no, that's, that's pretty bad. You need, you need to get down to the main hospital. And at that point, I had to go ahead and walk all the way to there, got there. Walk? <laughs> yeah, and, and let me finish. And they, said, they, they said right away, you're, you're badly injured. What, what? You walked all the way? I saw what I was told from the drill sergeants. And they how far did you have to walk? Several miles? Uh, probably about, that's how, I, that's why I walk a lot now. So uh, about, maybe about four or five miles. And that's wow. far away from, from, from the rifle range. But and, four, five miles. Knee, and that was your knee. It yeah, must my knee. My it knee. It's, the time you got there. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, by walking, I had still somewhat limp uh, because uh, plus the blood flow was building up, which calls me what they called it a uh, thrombophobitis and that that's clots in my whole leg and the thing is those drill sergeants got written up the main drill sergeant the master sergeant master drill sergeant he got demoted to e5 and the other drill sergeants who were already e5 they got kicked out of the army for that uh the okay. the, the captain did a full uh, investigation on it and found them that they're all at fault so the thing is, that's what I went through. That's one of the smaller stories, but I've got uh, several others. Well, <laughs> you have you, a good story. In the future. Yeah, I'll well, tell you in the future. Tell, tell us about uh, you and what you're doing now, because winding up, we want to yeah. hear about well, all the wonderful stuff that you're doing. The thing is, I've just got my book ready and published. Uh, the publisher said it'd probably be about another month, because uh, mm -hmm. there's just a few more things. It? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. There'll be a few more things that needs to be done, and then I'll have to review it. And then once I've done that, sign off on it, then they'll start to put that out uh, uh, throughout everything on that. Well, well, what's the name of your first book? Uh, the first book was uh, Once Was Whole. Uh, the and that's on book, Amazon, right? Yes. And the second book is uh, It's Not a Race, It's a Journey. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, uh, that's where I'll still share some of the things I've had in service, but I still try to keep things positive because what I have gone through currently, as we all know, with all the areas that were the strokes, and the thing is, that was fatty, fatty cholesterol caused that tumor because they, they, they have to biopsy it, and they found it was cholesterol that was all built up. That's what I'm still trying to cover through the Veterans Administration in regards to the Army always told me we well, got high high cholesterol, but they never give me anything to maintain it or lower it until when I got to the VA hospital later on. Uh, and that's when they uh, had found that the uh, tumor was high cholesterol. Now I'm on cholesterol medications, which are some statins. And I have to give myself an injection twice a month, uh, which will lower the cholesterol. And in fact, I've got my medical reports about that, and the cholesterol is much lower. So in combining all that, uh, it's not a race, it's a journey. So I still continue the journey for rehabilitation because that's what I'm covering in what uh, everyone we now have talk talked about. I'm still covering that, even what I've written, written in the books, So, uh, which, which was a lot of things that was going on all through the whole 33 years. So somewhat that's more of a bigger biography uh, in regards to what was going on uh, in the military time. Now, do you think uh, your uh, 
you didn't talk about your stroke. Do you think the stroke had anything to do with your time in the military? Yeah, they they had to get that tumor out, but the tumor was cholesterol, which in my time in the military, they yeah, because you said something about they, food or something that caused they, they told me they told me because I had to eat those MRAs at those time at that specific time in the 80s the MRAs were the only thing to have uh, what is the MRA uh, meals ready to eat oh. and they're packed they're packed with cholesterol oh. so that's why that's why I had high cholesterol but they never try to give you anything else to lower it they just said uh, they just kind of what about the business and said your reason why you got your blood pressure so high is because you have high cholesterol well what, what are you going to give me they never and they they never answered that question. And I went out by my business during the time I was in the army, and then until 2016, as we all know, that's when the three strokes happened. And when they took that tumor out uh, and found that the tumor, they had a biopsy, found that the tumor was cholesterol cholesterol related. So I'm still trying to fight in regards to getting that worked on. That otherwise I would have been perfectly normal before before that ever happened. So. Uh, but I had to take myself since 2016, now seven, five or six, uh, five or seven years now, going on everything to get rehabilitated. It's taken me that long to get back to what seemingly seems normal for me. Well, you're oh, doing remarkable, though, because you're yeah. now out walking how many miles and you're in all different type of uh, races just, and just, yeah, competitive. Yeah, just recently, the other day on uh, Saturday, I end up, no, I'm sorry, Friday, just last Friday, I end up walking nearly, if I had gone a little bit further, it would have ended up to 15 miles. So I almost was at 15 miles on that given day. Wow, that's amazing. And what tell us and, about your art. And you know, yeah, and we helped you get it into the auction where, where uh, Lauren is going to be on, be able to display it next time you come on. Right. Right. So I, I'm still doing artistic work. I sent Charles what I have done uh, for the photos. And those particular photos will be at the uh, Creative Arts Festival that's put on by the Veterans Hospital, uh, which that's what I'm entered into. And last time I was, uh, and like this one here, I call it uh, Sanctuary. This particular one, so I'll call it Sanctuary. So that's one is but actually, you know where I took that at? I took that at the Kenahan Regional Park right up here on La Brea. Right. <laughs> so, well, but I named that. it, of course. you have uh, any so, others, pigeons? Uh, uh, there's about uh, two or three okay. others in there. This one was in South Dakota when I went to the Golden Age Games. This one, I, I just named it Sioux Falls like that. So it's one of the people who founded uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Mm. And there's maybe this one is still being worked on right now. I have to get to uh, uh, the, another location because the place that I was going to try to work it out, uh, they said they had some trouble with it. It was corrupt in the format. I'm going to try it at a different location. But this one is called the Blue Moon. Beautiful, though. And then I don't know if Charles had any of your flowers that you've done, but uh, we'll not show sure. Them. I I just, next I, time. Yeah, that's what I'll do next time. But I, I try to do things where it would be positive 
and enlightening and actually inspirational for those who have certain areas, such as myself, a stroke survivors, or people mm-hmm. who may have any form of disability. Well, we're real proud of you on this thing, because I know that you, uh, what, take part in archery and rock climbing and surfing and all yeah, I that surfing. stuff. I did surfing yesterday, believe me, and the water was rough this time, and I, I fell asleep right away when I got home. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can imagine. But we're so proud of, you know, you keep you a very good inspiration, and you didn't tell anyone that you're visually impaired from that stroke. So, uh, yeah, I, I am visually impaired, and that's how what art you see, all that is how I see it, even though I'm visually impaired. Right. Okay, that is so wonderful. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Thank okay, you so Charles and Sonya, my friend, we winding down now. It's on me. What is it called, Taylor? Hot news. Hot news. You know, it's always hot because it's Right. And it's like the sun with hot sauce on it. It's hot and flavorful. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today's hot news, you know, speaking of recruiting, is about the American Corporate Partners Connects Veterans with top companies to help them obtain a job after their time of service. So, you know, it was was perfect, Dorsey. The program also provides one-on-one mentoring and other career development services. American Corporate Partners is a national nonprofit Organization focused on helping returning vets and active duty spouses find their next careers through one-on-one mentoring, networking, and online career advice. More than one million veterans are expected to transition from the armed forces to civilian life over the next five years. ACP engages the American people in a unique volunteer opportunity to provide career guidance to return the military as they transition back into civil into civilian life. They believe that the biggest issue facing our returning service members is not unemployment, it's underemployment. ACP focuses on helping vets and active duty spouses find meaningful employment opportunities and develop long-term careers. And the history is uh, founder Sidney E. Goodfriend, what a name, Goodfriend, launched American Corporate Partners on Labor Day in 2008 with the help of six founding corporate partners who provided funding to ACP and volunteers, volunteer mentors. By the end of 2009, ACP had paired 500 returning vets with mentors. In November 2018, ACP announced it is expanding its reach and opening its program to the active duty spouse community. Currently, ACP has more than 4,000 vets and active duty spouses paired one-on-one with mentors from more than 100 of America's top companies universities, and hospitals. Since its founding, ACP has focused on expanding its number of corporate partners, reaching out to a larger number of uh, returning military and designing several new programs and initiatives to help increasing number of service members and returning vets and their families uh, programs. Okay. ACP now connects veterans with business leaders in a variety of ways beyond its original corporate mentoring program. ACP's Women Veteran Mentoring Program launched in 2016 and connects females. Uh, it was launched in 2016 and it connects female veterans with female entrepreneurs and business leaders for year-long mentorships. Women vets have all women vets have access to exclusive networking events and career develop, development workshops. ACP is advisory net 
That's an online career question and answering community designed to assist in increasing number of veterans and current service members with networking and career advice. Their active duty spouse program, ACP's active duty spouse program was launched in November 2018 and it connects spouses on installations nationwide with business leaders for customized mentorships. More than 24,000 vets and spouses have successfully, successfully completed the ACP program. So for more information, you can contact, and this is for all the people that are getting recruited, call these people up and talk to them first, you know, and then you'll have an exit plan. Don't just go in with an entering plan, come out with an exit plan. The American Corporate Partners, they are two Grand Central Tower, 140 East 45th Street, Suite 19A, and that's New York, New York. And for general information and assistance, please contact them at info at acp-usa.org. That's info at acp-usa.org. And their phone number is 212-752-0700. That's 212-752-0700. And, uh, right. and so there you have it, you know. Get an exit okay, plan. so it's on you one more time, Charles. That's one more time. Oh, yeah. Okay, I guess one I can show my little, uh, you know, my little uh, uh, funny clip for the day. Here, let me get this out the way. Mm -hmm. I'll pull this thing here and see what we got. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let me, let me uh, get back over here. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, where is it at? right there yeah okay bam okay let's see what we got going your butt yo man give us a ride real quick man we just we've been out here all day man i'm hopping on oh you a saint man hey i'm gonna hop on i'm gonna I'm get up in the middle piece hey y'all ain't gonna leave me out the middle piece man my name malcolm yeah. malcolm in the middle it's only right that i'm in the middle piece. oh i hopped on the very back guys this is this is crazy. You a real one for picking us up, bro. Hell yeah, this walk was about to be epic. This is crazy to me. Damn, everybody, we get there. We gonna give them the Okay, well, we're signing off soon now, so we're gonna turn it over to Taylor and then Martha, and and we're gonna say bye soon. Taylor, you take it away right now, and Martha, you come in for the the um, Amazon. We didn't have. We thought you were going to be at the Hollywood Bowl today. Right oh, well, now. I'm getting ready it, to Connie. sign off. It's fine. I yeah. can read it. I don't have an issue with doing that. Okay, good. Yeah, you getting ready to stick? You getting ready to go, huh? Martha? Yeah, I'm getting ready to stick. <laughs> you have to tell us how it was next next week. I will. Okay. Right, ask you, man, we gonna we know notes what George sings. We gonna ask you, you know, what did he sing? <laughs> I, I will. I'll tell you. Report. All right, there guys. Have a good afternoon. Right. Thank you. You too. Right Enjoy. Bye. Have a good time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Before Miss Connie closes the show, I would like to remind our viewers and listeners about our amazing advertisement rates. We have 20 and 30 second advertisement slots available. Please email info at operationconfidence.org. Again, info at operationconfidence.org 
For more information and visit Operation Confidence's website at www.operationconfidence.org. Once more, www.operationconfidence.org um, for some amazing resources. I would also like to inform our viewers and listeners about Amazon Smell. When making your next purchase on Amazon, please go to Amazon Smell and type in Operation Confidence in the Choose Your Organization donation box. Amazon will make a small donation to Operation Confidence. And to get involved in Operation Confidence's tiny houses project, please visit our website and send us a message on how you would like to be involved. One last thing to our viewers and listeners, um, I would like to inform you about Operation Confidence Positive Redirection Team, which is a group of male and female veterans who are mentors, having overcome similar challenges and situations transitioning back into mainstream society. To be connected or become a team member, email us at info at operationconfidence.org. Honey? Okay, and as as always, we want to remind our viewers and listeners that our goal for the show is to raise awareness about Operation Confidence's mission, which is to provide stable housing with a wide range of supportive services. So to get involved with our grassroots efforts, please send us an email at info at operationconfidence.org or visit our website and send us an email through our website, which is www operationconfidence.org. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to our American Invisible Heroes YouTube channel. And guys, you know, we got maybe several thousand viewers. We're growing there with our YouTube channel. Take a look. We're really doing well with that. Some some shows have less than others, but we're, we're getting there. Real happy on that end. So, uh, as always, we want to welcome tell our, our Guests, thank you so much for being here and our host. You did a marvelous job. And we love you. And we'll be back next week for next Sunday with more informative information. Take it away. Bye. 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 Here we go. Oh, I used to do why? <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.